Good morning, everyone. Uh, I see a few uh, unfamiliar faces this morning. It's great to have you if you're uh, a guest here. Uh, thank you so much for joining with us. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lee Campbell. I serve as the, the pastor teacher here uh, at Strandtown, and it's great that you could join us. And perhaps this is a good week for you to join us at the beginning of a new term. Um, I'll just pull this back so I can see the screen. Uh, it's great that you could join us at the beginning of a new term. Uh, Again, if you haven't been with us, uh, we have been really thinking this year about the idea of how we're changed, how we're changed. Um, We we considered way back at the beginning of the year that everyone is being changed. We're either being conformed, uh, shaped, molded by the attitudes and values of this world, or we're being changed by the Holy Spirit to become more like the Lord Jesus. Either way, we're being changed. Uh, and we are changed by the stories we believe, the habits we form, and the relationships we have. And so if we're going to fight against the, the, the pressure of our culture, uh, according to Jesus, back in February we looked at Jesus' teaching in, in John 15, that to counteract the, the, the pressure of this world, uh, to counteract the stories that we're being sold uh, in this world, we need to heed Jesus' words uh, to counteract the, the habits that we naturally form, unhelpful habits. Uh, we need to build in spiritual disciplines into our lives, uh, holy habits, uh, practices that Jesus uh, modeled for us. Uh, and we need to be part of a community. We need to be a part of a community of our people. And really that, that idea has shaped really our teaching the whole year. And so we've looked at Jesus' word. We looked at how, what the Bible is and how it works. Uh, we've looked at the, the headline habit. Uh, just before the summer, we looked at the habit of prayer uh, that Jesus encourages us to build into our lives. And really now we're going to lean a little bit more into that idea over this, these next few weeks because there's more habits that we need to build into our lives that the New Testament gives for us if we are to, to be changed, to become more like uh, the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so we're going to consider the habit of Sabbath rest uh, over these next few weeks. So it would be really helpful if you could keep uh, Genesis 1 open in front of you. If you have closed it, could you just open that again? And then I will pray for us uh, before we, we dive in. Let's pray. Uh, together. At the beginning, we see from the very first page of the Bible, Heavenly Father, we see that you are a speaking God and that your word is powerful. It's powerful. It can make something out of nothing. Uh, And so we pray, please, now, as we gather together like this, And listen to your word again. We pray that you would create in us a changed character. That your words would be powerful in our lives to change us, to become uh, more pleasing to you. uh, And to reflect uh, the the character and the beauty of your son, the Lord Jesus, more and more. And so please, as we listen, please speak. Uh, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be working to help us understand and to give us a brand new desire, creating us a new desire to obey. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, A few years ago, back in 2017, uh, this lady, she'll appear on the screen, um, her name is Miwa Sado. 
She was a Japanese political journalist uh, working for uh, the major, the equivalent of the BBC in, in Japan. Uh, well, her death made headlines back in 2017. Uh, really after it was revealed that she suffered congestive heart failure as a direct result, a direct result of massive, massive overwork. Um, It was revealed in one newspaper article that she had logged 159 hours of overtime in one month. That's on average an on top of her regular employment, that's on average an extra six hours every single day. Uh, and then the details of her death were released. She died clutching her smartphone. It's nothing more tragic than that picture, isn't it? Died clutching uh, her smartphone. Uh, in fact, the coroner in Tokyo uh, ruled that her case was death. Um, due to what is in Japanese, uh, karoshi, karoshi, which is a Japanese word. It, overwork is such a big deal in their culture that they've actually got a word for it. Uh, karoshi really means death by overwork, death by overwork. And it's an epidemic apparently in Japan. Uh, apparently, last year alone, 2,000 people committed suicide as a direct result of stress at work. Um, on top of that, the instances of, of heart attack, stroke due to massive stress is at epidemic proportions uh, in Japan. Um, but it's easy to point the finger at Japan, but actually the reality is we are being affected. We are being affected. It's the beginning of a new term as you all take a deep breath. Or like me, have that knot in your stomach about what the tidal wave of work that is facing you between now and Christmas. But imagine I was to ask any, have a conversation with any of you, any of you, say late October, early November, start of December, uh, and I was simply to ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing? At some point, in at least 95% of those conversations, one word will pop up. What are you? Busy. 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 I'm busy. Everyone's busy. Every, almost everyone I talk to are busy. Pupils, busy with homework. Uh, busy with school. Students, busy. Uh, young people starting off a brand new career, busy. Parents, busy. Grandparents, busy, busy. Everyone's busy. Everyone's busy. We live in a hamster wheel overstressed uh, society where everyone is busy. We're busy with work. We're busy with work. Um, Gone are the days for the vast majority of folks working in the UK. Gone are the days where 40-hour weeks are the norm. That's that's regarded by many as a minimum now. Uh, Because of work-saving devices, uh, our laptops, our tablets, and especially a smartphone, which seems to be surgically connected to most of us. We carry our work around with us all the time. And when we used to get letters which would require a general response sometime in the future, uh, email, text, WhatsApp message, they demand an instant response, instant response, and so the pressure rises. Um, 
in a, in a survey by the Chartered Institute of Professional Development. Uh, they interviewed over uh, 5,000 workers in the UK. Uh, a quarter of them said that they worked more than 10 extra hours every week. Um, and 60% said that they found it very difficult to switch off uh, and it was disrupting their family time. We're busy, busy with work, but we're also busy with play. Uh, we thought of a few months ago how because of rising um, comfort levels in the UK, rising salaries, we are wealthier than, as, a, as a generation than ever before. And because of that, then we have more opportunity for hobbies than ever before. And so on top of our busy work lives, we're busy with all sorts of social activities. Uh, especially in a vibrant city, if you are um, like this one, we have the opportunity to, to go to work. Uh, and so we try to cram it all in. And so you're going to work, you're then running to the gym, you're then running to meet with friends. Uh, then you hear that there's a film on in the cinema or a concert that you want to go to. Uh, and on top of that, you're trying to pick the kids up and they're doing all sorts of activity after school and you've got to run after them and run after the next thing. Busy, 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 busy. Is there a discipline that can help us uh, in our busyness? Uh, and because it's a problem, it's a problem. Listen to these words by Corey Ten Boom first. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I think there's a lot of truth in that. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Because both will cut you off from a sense of God's presence will cut you off from the life that he has for you. What we need is Sabbath. What we need is Sabbath. We need an opportunity to unplug, to rest. There is one spiritual discipline that can guard against workaholism, hedonism, and the tyranny of busyness in our modern world. And so for the next two weeks, I want us at the beginning of a new term, and it seems appropriate at the beginning of a new term, to just pause and to think about our schedules and to think about our lifestyle choices and to consider some principles and some practices. We're going to focus on the principles this week. We'll think of more detailed practices next week uh, of Sabbath. What is it? What, is it? Um, what does it look like? two ideas for you this morning as briefly as I can. Two ideas. First, the pattern of weekly rest and then the picture of ultimate rest. Sabbath is a pattern of weekly rest and it's a picture of ultimate rest. First, before we dive into rest, we need to think a little bit about work. A little bit about work. What is it? Um, there are two very common attitudes to work. Uh, the first attitude is living for the weekend, living for the weekend. Work is this necessary evil that I have to endure in the middle of the week to get enough funds so that I can have fun at the weekends or in my leisure time uh, in the evenings. But as you open page one of the Bible... As you open page one of the Bible, how is, God, how is the good God presented to you? The good God is presented to you as a worker, as a worker. 
So we, it, it is inappropriate for us to think that work uh, is a necessary evil or a punishment that came later. No, no, we have a good God who works and we are created in his image that we might also be workers. And so it is inappropriate for us to despise work. We see that God works uh, and he rests. Work, um, God, the way God has set up the world, the way God has set up the universe, he created a good world, but a world with untapped potential. And we unlock that potential through our work. We are created to work uh, like God and with God. God actually uses our work. He gives us the dignity of using our work to carry out his purposes. Um, I think uh, Martin Luther puts it well. Uh, he gives us the dignity of work. God gives the wool. But not without our labor, if it remains on the sheep, it makes no garment. Get the idea? Even think, we were considering the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago. Give us our day, give us this day our daily bread. God provides, he's the provider, he gives us our daily bread, but not without the farmer, not without the baker, not without the lorry driver, not without the shopkeeper. God uses our work to carry out his purposes. Uh, We are created to work like God. We are created to work with God. We are created to bring order out of chaos through our work. We are created to provide for other people through our work. And so all work, no matter how menial, is of great value when done for that purpose. To give glory to God and to help other people. And so before I dive into the subject of rest, there may be some of you who perhaps need to learn the value of work first. That's a challenge, I think, for some. But I think the reality is, uh, because I know most of you, I think the reality is that most of us probably veer to the other view of work, where we live for work. We view work as such an important thing uh, that it actually becomes something that, that shapes us gives us identity and security. We, we overwork for all sorts of sinful reasons. Uh, I'm uh, just reading the story this week about Mr. Hobbs, uh, 58, professional, uh, was made redundant. Uh, work was so important to him, it so shaped his sense of self and shaped his sense of self-worth that he couldn't bring himself to tell his family that he'd been made redundant. And so every morning, he got up at the usual time, put on his suit, left his family home, went to the local library, stayed in the library all day, and then came home at tea time at the usual time, as if he had been working all day. He kept up the charade for months and months and months until all his savings were gone. And he shot himself. Now, I don't think... There's any of us in this room who would say that work, we value work or work defines us to, to that extent. None, I don't think any of us in here would admit we live to work, however, however. There's some of our patterns and choices that do suggest for many of us, and I speak primarily to myself here as my wife reminded me as I told her of what we're talking about. 
This is a struggle for me, to be honest, uh, as we talk, as we think about how work shapes our decisions. When there is a clash between work and family commitments or church commitments, which wins? Is it work? Now look, there's sometimes when it has to be work. It has to be work. Work comes with a certain number of responsibilities and obligations as part of the deal. But the question becomes, if it's always work, if it's always study, if it's always what we have to do to move on in our career, then that might suggest that we have an unhealthy, ungodly attitude to work that we might need to address. Is, are you finding yourself checking your smartphone for text messages and emails to do with work at all hours of the day and night? Is your mind constantly swirling with thoughts and plans and concerns about your job? Again, that might suggest that you have an unhealthy, ungodly attitude to work. And you need to hear what the Bible has to say about rest. About rest. Work is good, yes. Work is a good thing. But God is a worker. He's the creator. And he worked for six days and rested for one day. Um... And look, it's really unhelpful, to be honest, that uh, whoever in their wisdom decided to split up the chapters of the Bible into uh, and put the split between uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis where they did, it was very unfortunate and very unhelpful because the story of creation does not finish in chapter 1, verse 31. It doesn't, it doesn't finish with God working to make human beings. That's not the end of the story. No, no, the story continues right on to chapter 2, verse 3. The climax of creation is not work and more work. The climax of creation is rest. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It's a strange idea, isn't it? That the eternal, almighty God would rest. He wasn't tired. He didn't need a break. Uh, the, the scriptures go on and are very clear. God does not sleep and he does not get weary and he does not need to be rejuvenated. Uh, but what God is doing by working for six days and resting for one day, he is building a pattern into the fabric of the universe building a pattern into the fabric of the universe that we ignore uh, with, at, at our peril. And what, what is rest then? What is rest? If God is not flopping down on his armchair at the, at a, on a Friday night with a cuppa, uh, what, what is rest? Rest is not uh, here the idea of being rejuvenated. It's the idea of satisfaction in work completed. Satisfaction work complete. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine you have the opportunity and the funds 
to totally renovate your house in every way, top to bottom, the whole thing. You get it all gutted, right back to the brick or the plaster. You've got all gutted. You put on that extension you want. Uh, You put in a new bathroom, a new kitchen. You get all the painting done. You put in the extra storage that you've always wanted. Everything's there. Uh, Why are you doing that work? You're not doing that work so that you can continue to work at it. No, the goal of doing a project like that is that you finish it. You finish it. A day comes where you step back and say, that is good. And you move in. And you admire it. And you enjoy it. And you rest in it. uh, That it becomes a blessing to you. And you use it as a blessing to other people. That is the idea of rest here. It is, carries with it the idea of completion and satisfaction and harmony and delight. And God has built in this rhythm of six days work and one day rest into the fabric uh, of creation. And, and it's good for us then uh, to work with the grain uh, of the universe. And that seems to be why God, when he... Um, rescues his people from Egypt and he's leading them to the promised land and he takes them on a detour to this mountain and on the mountain, Mount Sinai, God comes down in smoke and fire and lightning and speaks to them from the mountain, his, his rescued people, telling his rescued people how as free people now they are to live in a way that pleases him and causes human flourishing. That's the reason why then, because God wants them to flourish, he gives them this command to rest. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. And Sabbath is just, it comes from Sabbat, which is just the Hebrew word for rest. It's a Sabbath, a rest to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner or the stranger who's within your gates. Why? Why not? Why shouldn't you do that? For in six days the Lord made the heaven, uh, made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Notice that this command to rest is based on or built on the very f- creation story. Uh, look, uh, I know that, and I'm happy to admit, that uh, the, there's all sorts of debate about Sabbath and keeping a, a day of rest. Um, we as Christians, as New Testament Christians, are no longer under the, the Jewish Torah, the law, Uh, This is the only command that is not reaffirmed of of the Ten Commandments. This is the only command that is not explicitly reaffirmed or restated in the New Testament. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I want to suggest that the Sabbath command is wisdom, God's wisdom for us to live by. God's wisdom for us to live live by. Now you may be thinking, a day off every week, a full day. Um, Look, that's all well and good for you. Uh, as a church minister, you know, you're like six days invisible, um, one day incomprehensible. Uh, it's easy for you to say. That's, that's easy for you to say. Look, you look for me, look, I've got, I've got young kids. For me, I've got this really demanding job. For me, you know, I'm a Myers-Briggs kind of completer finisher type. I can't, I'm a doer. I've got to be doing stuff. Uh, for me, I'm not a legalist. 
not worried about laws that I've got to obey and tick off. Well, look, you can skip Sabbath if you want. But you'd be mad. You'd be mad. You'd be mad to do it. Um, the last serious attempt to change the 6-1 cycle uh, was uh, when at the, in the Russian Revolution uh, when the Bolsheviks took over. Uh, and they in- instituted, for a while, they instituted a 10-day cycle in an attempt to increase productivity. Uh, what did they discover? Suicide rates soared. Mental health went off the charts. And productivity actually went down. Actually went down. Uh, in study after study, I've been reading a little bit this week, uh, study after study uh, from the social scientists, uh, uh, it's, it's become well established, well agreed, well documented that actually productivity goes down after about a 55 hours in a work week. And when I say goes down, drops off the cliff dramatically. So much so that the difference between what someone can produce in 55, hour, 55 hours compared to what they can produce in 90 hours is virtually negligible. And what does 55 hours correspond to? Roughly six days. There's something built into the fabric of the universe uh, as, cre- as creatures in God's world. We need the cycle of work and rest, and we ignore it at our peril. C.S. Lewis brilliantly puts it like this. You can go against the grain of the universe. Oh, you, sorry, you can't go against the grain of the universe and not expect to get splinters. Like, that's brilliant, isn't it? Um, if we reject this rhythm of six, one, six days work and one day rest, uh, what happens? We burn out. Chronic anxiety, depression, ulcers, starved relationships, uh, a sense of disconnect from God and from others. One doctor, uh, I, I wasn't able to chase down the exact quote, but one doctor put it roughly like this, the periods of rest that I prescribe to my depressed patients are in one sense, Sabbaths in arrears. There's Sabbaths in arrears. Sabbath Sabbath is coming for you. It can be a delight, or it'll it'll come and take the legs out from under you. But either way, you'll be Sabbathing. You'll be resting from work. My advice, the wisdom of Scripture, is to treat Sabbath as a delight. A delight. We need a rest. Why should we rest? Um, because number one, rest refills us. Rest refills us. Uh, to be a bit Bible geek on you for a minute, when you start reading Genesis 1 carefully, you will see that the three things in Genesis 1 are blessed. In Genesis 1 and 2. Three things in Genesis 1 and 2 are blessed. The creation story. Animals, human beings... And one day. Animals, human beings, and one day. Three things are blessed. Um, what does it mean for animals and humans to be blessed? Well, in verse 22 and verse 28, you get this refrain. What, God bless them. And how are they blessed? Well, they are fruitful. And they increase in number. 
they're, they're blessed and they are given this ability to give life and procreate. So what does it mean then for a, a day to be blessed? Well, it simply means that this day is life-giving. This day is life-giving to you. I don't care how good your week has been. I don't care how much you enjoy your job. I love my job. But at the end of a working week, I and you are tired. We're tired. Emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. We are drained. We are drained. And what we need then is a day. A day to recharge us. To refill us. To fill us with energy, creativity, vision, strength, clarity of purpose, and hope and optimism. This day is life-giving. Here are some uncomfortable questions that I have come, that I have crafted this week. To, to ask me some questions that has revealed some big changes that need to happen to me, I offer them to you. If we were to be serious and take a day off, at the beginning of a new term, ask yourself the question, Am I building, are we as a family building enough rest into our weekly schedule? And to do that rest, you're going to have to do, you're going to have to do work you do on that day some other day. So your whole work week's going to have to change. But be del- ironically, you've got to work at having a Sabbath. You've got to change, you've got to be deliberate. It won't just happen. Is there a day when you're fully available to your family and your friends? Is there a day when you have no to-do list and you don't feel guilty about it? Is there a day uh, when your phone is off? Your phone is off. The laptop is closed. You do not check your email. You do not check those texts Is there a day when no one can get hold of you? Is there a day when you don't purposely, you don't buy, you don't sell to get more stuff, but enjoy what you've already got? I find those questions really uncomfortable. But the truth is, if we build Sabbath into our week, we will be blessed by it will be blessed by it. Sabbath refills. But Sabbath also refocuses. Sabbath refocuses. Um, in this passage, we're told that God blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. He made it holy. This is the first time the word holy is ever used in, in all of scripture. Uh, and holy really carries with this word holy, kadosh, really words, carries with it originally the idea of being separate or set aside. Uh, and it came to be used commonly of God uh, to describe his otherness. He is, he is separate, different from us uh, in his character and nature. Uh, but when the word then is uh, holy is used to describe anything other than God, in this case a day, it always means to be dedicated to God, set aside for him. Set aside for him. And so there's a sense in which a Sabbath is different from a day off. A Sabbath is different from a day off. We all love a day off. Who doesn't love a day off? 
Uh, but what do you do on a day off? Well, you normally do a little bit of Netflix catch-up. Uh, but also you'll do some, you know, you'll do the grocery shopping. You'll mow the lawn. You'll uh, run a few errands. You'll fold laundry. Uh, you might get that DIY project go, uh, chip away at that DIY project. You might go to Ikea and then nine hours later come out with a plant. You know, that, you know, that, that could be what you do. Um, and look, I'm not saying that those things are bad things. Those things are good things. But they're not Sabbath. They're not Sabbath. Rest. Because part of Sabbath is that it's a day to rest and to worship. A day to rest and worship. Um, a day to be dedicated to God. Now, look, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you have to sing praise music and, or sing it or have it playing all day. I'm not saying you should pray for nine hours straight. Uh, those are good things, but I'm, I'm not saying that's what you need to do. Just expand your definition of worship a bit. Expand it a bit. Do those things that stir up in you a sense of the goodness and beauty that's in this world that will prompt gratitude in your heart to the Creator. Those will be different for you than they are for me, but do them. Do them. Yes, go to church. Of course, that would be a wonderful thing for a day of rest and worship to gather as God's people, to to sing His praises, to hear from His word, be encouraged. That would be great. But also, also, go for a walk in the park. Eat a meal with friends. Enjoy listening to good music. Go for a run, if that's your thing. But what is it in you that makes you aware of the goodness and beauty around you that stirs gratitude in your heart for God? When you do that, you make rest worship. You make rest worship. We'll come back to some of the practicalities of that uh, next week. But also rest is a wonderful principle. So that's the positive. But also there's a negative to rest. Because rest is a powerful reminder that you are not God. There is a God out there, but you're not him. A day where you have to let go not be in control. I think Mark Comer puts it really well. Uh, On the Sabbath, we don't just take a day off from work, but a day off from toil. We give him our fears, anxieties, and stress, and we let go. We stop trying to manage and control everything and remember our place in the world. So if you ever notice this, when you take a day off, the next day, the world has survived without you. It's It's gone on just fine without you. It's just a wonderful, helpful reminder to gain a bit of perspective. There is a God and it is not you. Rest is to be a day of rest. Sabbath is to be a day of rest and worship, which refills us, recharges us, but also refocuses us on the goodness of our Creator. That is the pattern then, the reason for this pattern of weekly rest. Briefly, my time is gone, but briefly, the picture of ultimate rest. There's a picture here. uh, Back in Genesis 2, uh, if you read through Genesis 1, you'll notice at the end of every day there's a refrain. There's this one phrase that pops up again and again. There was evening and there was morning the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, sixth day. 
And so much so that when you actually get on and keep reading into chapter 2 and you come to the seventh day, you're expecting to hear it. And then it doesn't come. There is no evening and morning the seventh day. And there's a sense in which that's on purpose because the seventh day was not supposed to end. The day when God entered into his rest, the satisfaction, peace, harmony. And really chapter 2, when you read on in chapter 2, you begin to see that God's people are invited. The first human beings, our first parents, are invited to share in the rest with God. They live in God's place. They enjoy his rule and blessing. Human beings were designed as God's purpose that his people experience his rest. But if you're a Bible reader, you'll know that it didn't last very long. And by the time we get to to Genesis 3, it all goes horribly wrong and rest is lost. Rest is lost. Our first parents believed the lie. They believed the lie that God is not good, uh, that he can't be trusted. uh, And so they turn away from him. And instead of living for God and enjoying his rest, they live for themselves and try to find rest for themselves. And it leads to disaster Uh, as you know in your experience and in the world uh, around you. But the wonderful thing is God is still committed to his creation purpose of creating a people and bringing them in to enjoy his rest. He has not let go of that goal. He's not let go of that purpose. And then with that in mind, with that background in mind, 2,000 years ago, When a carpenter from the north of Israel comes and says these words, they are seismic. They're seismic. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What Jesus is promising here, if, you've, if you're a Bible reader, is he's promising to restore Eden, to bring us back into that peace and harmony and delight of a perfect relationship with each other, harmony with this world, and a perfect relationship for which we're made with God. That's what he's promising. So I suspect there's probably someone here this morning um, who is aware increasingly aware that there's a God uh, above them and beyond them and you're busy striving trying to appease him with your life busy working trying to do the right thing can I just say that that's exhausting if you try to do that that's a burden because you will carry round with you the burden of guilt and shame, a sense of failure and emptiness that you'll never be able to shift. And so if that's you this morning, trying to do that, stop, stop. Come to Jesus. Believe that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, and that he died for you. He carried your burden of guilt and shame to the cross so that you could be offered the free gift of a relationship with God that begins now. You can taste that rest today. 
sense of forgiveness and harmony with God and you'll experience it in all its technicolor wonderfulness in the new creation uh, which you will also have entry into. For those of us uh, who are already calling ourselves followers of Jesus, who have already tasted this rest, the truth is we're prone to amnesia in a busy week. And we need to be reminded every week, refreshed every week. You don't have to work to please God. You don't have to work to be accepted by him. You don't have to work for him to remain committed to you. Because of what Christ has done for us. So in a stressed out hamster wheel experience of life in a busy, busy, busy world... Many of us need to learn or relearn how to Sabbath, how to Sabbath well. We need to be, accept our creatureliness, be refilled, be refocused, and wonderfully reminded of the ultimate rest that God has offer, on offer for us. Rest for our souls that can begin now and last forever. Let me pray for us.